Well, why don't we go ahead and get started? Happy Darn Tuesday and last day of February, everyone. I feel spring is around the corner. Happy Culture Cast Day. Happy Tuesday and welcome my new BFF, Roger Romain, to the Culture Cast. Roger, what up? How are you? Happy Culture Cast. Hey, Marissa, how are you? I'm, I'm doing I'm, well. I'm doing well. I was working all morning. I've been waiting to do this. I'm excited. I'm ready to go. I know. Where are you? Where are you right now? What coast are you on? I, I am on the East Coast in New York. Right on. Well, I'm on the West Coast, so we're covering both. And I'm just so thrilled. I think everyone knows who you are. But just for fun, I think one thing that um, I would say about you, Roger, is not only I'm going to repeat your word back to, to you, which is you are a firecracker, my friend. You just light things up, you know, and not only that, not just light them up, but I think you light them up in a way where you allow others to sparkle. And so um, I know everyone can read your background, but the fact that you've, you've really helped to cultivate other talent, other artists and help them shine is kind of who you are. And I think Adina Howard is the one where everyone will know your name and know her name and um, just see how awesome she has continued to evolve because of you. So this is my friend Roger. And beyond that, I think you do that for other people too. I think when we first ran into each other or the last time we ran into each other in New York City, we were at yes. a dinner and... Um, I, you were so great about saying I'm running a few minutes late. I have, um, I have another commitment. And then before you even parked your car, you came in, ran in. But the reason why you were late is because, again, the firecracker that you are, you were actually mentoring homeless people. So no, it's basically, it's not so much um, homeless okay. people. It's more, it's more of a program with NYCHA. Oh, well, that's right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, with with the New York City Housing New York City uh, Housing Authority, I was approached by I don't know they found my profile online and they asked me to basically assist in a mentor. They basically asked me would I like to be a mentor, and I would be like a mentor to what? And there was like mentees, people that live within the New York City Housing Authority that have businesses that need to need to learn how to grow their businesses organically. And and, yeah. and properly and and I jumped on it. So I was running late with those calls and I felt so bad because I'm usually never tardy. So I ran into the restaurant first and I apologized to everyone. Then I went to go get parking. That's just me. That's just me. You know, I'm I always think about I always think about how the other person would feel. Yeah. I think this this is what I love about you in that the empathy that is just naturally you. And I think it goes so well as we talk about how we can help others think about how they cultivate their own culture, whether it's at home, in society, or at work. And um, I thought your background was just so fascinating and, and actually your wisdom. And I know the way that I talked about um, bringing you on board for the culture cast is how do you cultivate cultures where it is around developing other people and then the other thing that you and I really got into this philosophical conversation on was around how do you create legacy? So it's not only about your life today, but generationally, how does that live forward as a result of the impact that you make? So let's first talk about you. Who is Roger? I mean, how did you end up with the career that you have? Like, tell us about you. My career, my career started when I was a child. My career started with first and foremost, the love and affinity for music. Music to me, when I was first turned on to music and I'm not, and, and, and I wasn't a musician, it was more about uh, therapy. You know, oh. I grew up in a broken household with my mom and my, just my sister, my dad wasn't around. So I would feel a certain kind of way and certain songs would come on and they would let me know that I wasn't alone or somebody was um, actually feeling what I was feeling. So I was, so I automatically had an affinity of love for music because it spoke to me and it helped me deal with any of the issues and problems that I felt that I was having that I couldn't actually speak to anybody with. Cause I couldn't, you know, you really can't speak to a Haitian mom. All she wants you to do is get straight A's, be a doctor or a lawyer if you're smart and if you're dumb, be a mechanic. 
those were those those were the only three ways to go. So from there, I took my love of music. I I I thought I was an artist. I realized um, very early on that the artist was like the last in the totem pole, and I learned that when I booked my first tour, I was I, I I was approached by an agent who wanted to know if I wanted to come to Asia, because Asia oh. had a tremendous amount of nightclubs at the time, and um, I was like, sure, I'll go, but you got to speak to my manager. So they promised me this amount of money. And then when everyone got paid and I received my end of the money, I was like, wait a minute. I was on stage. I did the singing. I broke a sweat. Everyone was having cocktails and having conversations. And I said, I want to be on that side. Oh. Um, so I transitioned over from becoming an artist to becoming representation. I also realized that I was like sort of an anomaly, that I was very... I was very comfortable with the musicians, but I was also very comfortable and I was able to dissect and read through the lines in the corporate world. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Because, I know what you mean. You know, so I was able, yeah, so I'd walk into a room and I can get a sense what was gonna happen, who was important, what I had to say. I listened to cues and it just worked out for me. and. What ended up happening is I had a successful career in the in the recording industry that spanned over 20 years. I'm still in it. I'm not in it to the degree that I used to be because I'm chasing so many other things now. You know, it's not about taking anymore. It's about giving, you know, yeah. and I can veer off to something else. You know, there's like three types of people. There's givers, takers, and matchmakers. You know, and I have, I'm a, I'm a giver. You're a giver, yeah, no, a giver. not a shock. Um, so that lawyer route never panned out. So when mom said, uh, hey, you're going yeah, to yeah. So, yeah, that was funny. I mean, I was going to St. John's and I dropped out and my mom just stopped speaking to me for oh, almost, geez. for almost, yeah, over a year easily. And um, I had moved to uh, North Carolina. I was very successful in the recording industry. Everyone thought I was doing something else because I was a minority. There was no way in the world that you can make that amount of money just, you know, flying people around and showing up at studios. And uh, one day I told my mom I wasn't feeling well and I flew her down and I picked her up at the airport. She already knew I had a nice car. So we were driving through a neighborhood and um, I turned down the driveway and she got very paranoid. And she was like, you're going to get arrested. I was like, it's my house. And you know, oh. she basically just started crying. And she was like, listen, I don't care what you do as long as you're happy and you're doing it, you, you, know, you, you know, you're doing the right thing. And I said, yes, mom, I'm doing the right thing. And we were fine from that point on, you know, but she, was, she would always question me in the morning. She was like, you know, don't you have to get up and go somewhere? I was like, no. She was like, so how do you make money? I said, I'll go out at night. She was like, what do you do at night? So it was a whole paradigm, you know, she wasn't used to that. She, she yeah. Know, her, her definition of success was a degree, getting up, putting on a suit, going to an office, working in an office eight hours, coming home in a Lincoln town car, and she would have a plate of food for me. Wow. That's pretty much it. Well, I think you were paving the way early, early days. I think today, as people think about the workplace and the role of work and how people work together, whether it's hybrid, flexibility, et cetera. I mean, you were demonstrating for your mom back in the day that you can be successful doing it your way and actually going where the energy is, right? Because if it's kind of a night business and you're cultivating artists and meeting artists, that's how it rolls. And then one thing I do want to pick up on, you talked about, and I know you and I talk about this, we've done this one-on-one, -on -one, but now you've got this audience that maybe wants to learn from this. You know, when you talk about picking up on vibes and reading rooms and reading people, how did you learn how to do that? I think it's, uh, I think it goes back to pleasing and making people feel comfortable around me. So you develop something which is, doesn't really exist anymore. It's called initiative. It's, okay. like a, it's, 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 it's almost like a dead word. I think that a lot of today's generation are not, 
they're, they're more waiting for opportunity. You know, like if you have yeah. something nice and you don't want it anymore, they'll take it instead of striving to get it on their own. And a classic example of showing initiative is if you're around someone of stature or that's important that you're trying to get close to and you see something that they like in particular, the next time you're around, have it there for them. The first thing that they're going to ask is who did this? Nice. How did they know? How did they know? And I would be like me. And, they'd be, and the first thing they'd want to know is what is your name? And now you've gone from being 80 people in the room that just come at them and say, can I do this for you? Can I do yeah. that for you? Roger, how are you? Can you do this for me? I love that. I think it's initiative, but it's also that whole behavior. It's you're talking about pleasing. I think it's also about really paying attention when no one else is, right? Like yes. all of the little details and not about you. It's about observing others, right? And what it is that they need. And so, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah, it's never about me, you know. That's the right. Goal is, the goal is to turn nothing into something and be a part of that. That is always the goal. And if yeah. you can achieve that, the people know who did it. You know, the people that were there know, you know, I, I, I never want to be called a king. I'd rather be called a kingmaker. Excellent. I love that kingmaker. And actually, that is such a nugget. I think that is one of the key reasons why you've um, had the chance to experience success is because it is about making others and about taking care of others. You know, yes. I, I relate to you in that way. And I know you and I talked about like, we're almost like brother and sister in terms of experience. But I think to me, it wasn't about pleasing. I think, you know, having grown up in an immigrant household and only speaking English when you leave the house, especially first going to school and being an observer of just how people treat each other all the time. And when I see that people aren't treating others nicely and more specifically going to the grocery store with my dad. I think I told you the story where, yeah. you know, I'm not, and he's trying to pay for groceries, writing out a check back in the day. And they would speak slowly to him and tell him that would be $20 and whatever sense yelling at him and speaking slowly. And as a nine-year-old, I'm like, here's the deal. My dad understands English. You don't need to yell at him, you know? And so I think it's about, understanding the experiences that people are going through and how do you make it better, right? How do you not only make it better and it's not about cutting down the other person, but helping them see. Anyway, so I, I see it kind of, your story, I relate to that in a different way. Um, Thank you so much. But this, this is also talking about culture. I think what you were doing around you and in the observations and actually being a kingmaker and helping others and pleasing others is actually creating a culture. So I do want to get into your head around how would you define culture when you hear that word? What, I, what, what, what do I think of culture? Culture is your beliefs, your values, your moral compass, your ethnicity, and especially what's bestowed into you and put into you by the prior generation. My culture comes from what my mother exposed me to, what she decided to read to me, what she suggested that I read, was what, what she suggested that I uh, pursue. That's where my culture comes from. And in doing that, you find new culture. You, you, you go and read on something that you were told to go and read up on or go study on something that you were supposed to go study on. And then it opens up a door to a, whole new other thing that you weren't aware of, a whole new, a whole new subculture within that culture yes. that you weren't aware of. You know, so yeah, culture, yeah, culture has a lot to do with ethnicity, your beliefs, your upbringing, your, you know, your, yeah, that all makes up who you are, your morals, everything. You know, my mom, you know, would tell me, you know, no elbows on the table. That was part of her culture. So when we yes. ate, we weren't allowed to put elbows on the table. You know, my mom told me that, the hand that you're not using on the table should be resting on the table. The other hand should be using the fork. You know, don't drink until you're finished eating. That's all part of my culture, my Haitian culture. I love that. I love that it is about looking at your heritage and understanding the generations before you. But what I'm also hearing you say is that 
it's creating subcultures, but it's also evolving. So it's, you were born with this, right? And you were raised with this, but then you've evolved as well in that, yes. you know, you pick up other things from other cultures that you become exposed to. And that becomes part of how you think and how you are. Yes. Yes. Through meeting other people, even through food. You know, I, I, I used to tell people, if you want to travel around the world and you're poor, just eat food. Go to all of the best restaurants from all over the world and you actually travel there without getting on a plane. I love that idea of actually traveling around the world through food and understanding cultures through that. That's <laughs> such an insight because it says a lot about, um, well, I mean, literally taste, but just what it takes to actually create that and the stories behind food. Yes. And so I think about how did you apply that in your career? You know, so if you think about culture and developing artists, supporting others, how did you apply, you know, your notion of culture and, and shaping that for people that you worked with? Uh, my, like I would instill my discipline. I would tell okay. them, you know, if you want to get to where I want, if you want to be me, then you have to do this plus. And I would tell them most of the things that I do, you, it's not what I do in front of you. It's what I do when you're not looking. So I would tell them when I'm home, I'm studying, what are you doing? And they would tell me, and I would tell them, don't do that. Do this. So the, so the next time I see you, you will be more aware and more well-informed. Um, I like to lead by example. I don't like to um, ask anyone to do anything unless I have some form of knowledge or skill. And that all happens when people are not looking. For example, if I want something edited or a video edited, what I would go do at home is I would sign up for a course I would learn how to do Final Cut Pro. I would get a certificate. Then I would still hire the editors. Then when I would tell them, um, I want you to do something and I want it in this rhythm. And they would tell me, well, we don't know what you're talking about. And then I would do three or four hand moves. They would like, you're an editor? I was like, no, I just know the basics, but this is the rhythm I would like it in. So discipline is, you know, discipline, uh, being an overachiever. Yeah. Um, Pushing yourself, um, you know, we had discussed uh, being an entrepreneur, the, the layman term is you have to have a cast iron stomach, you know, yep. developing your cast iron stomach, because, you know, not everything you do is going to succeed. And you also have to learn that you're not really failing, you're learning. So you're yeah. either learning or winning. But a lot of the times that learning feels like you're losing and your stomach hurts. So you need a cast well, iron stuff. Yeah, I think I learned a secret from you too. When you, you know, that um, editing story that you shared that you went home, you actually went and learned it, not to be an expert, but just to understand it so that to you convey. can actually provide direction. And then you also know what it is that you're asking for. And that, yes. I mean, it's a different generation today. I think, you know, you and I have been talking about this too where um, it, you can't just skate in and, and, you know, by luck things happen sometimes and maybe most of the time, a lot of learning needs to happen, like literal hands-on technical learning behind the scenes so that you're not just showing up, you know, taking from others. Again, I'm saying this to the giver, right? So I, I love that. I mean, that's such a good secret to, to hear yeah, about your word, that. Your word, your word has value. It has consideration. It has it has bearing, it has weight, you know? Yes. And that's the whole, get, that goes back to being the kingmaker. Listen, I want you to look at like this, but you're the expert. I'm just giving you a broad, a broad canvas, a broad, you know, you know, stickman figures on yeah. how I want it to go. And, you know, the reason you're here is now it's your turn to wear the crown. Let's see your expertise, you know? And that's... I, I I love that. So tell me about how in doing so, how has that carried forward for others that you've worked with? You know, you had to have made an impression on people on creating this work ethic, this culture of hard work and learning and failing. Um, how have you seen that live on with folks that you've had the chance to, to work with? They always come back. 
That's the number okay. one thing. You know, they can be successful. Some of them have surpassed me as far as public, you know, being publicly successful. Uh, they always come back because they know that I'm honest, I'm disciplined, uh, I'm, you know, I'm going to give you, I'm never ever going to sugarcoat anything. If I can do it, I'm going to tell you I can do it. If I can't do it, I'm going to tell you I can't do it. So they always come back to me. And you know, it's funny when they come back to me, I asked them, I said, why are you coming back to me? And they always tell me because I trust you. Yeah. You know, it's not about, you know, you're not trying to make money off of me. You're actually trying to help me. And in helping me, you already see the bigger picture that I'm going to come back. And they automatically tell me, you know, whatever you want, I'll give you. I don't wow. even have to give them a fee. They was like, yeah, whatever you want, I'll give you. I just want you around. I just want you to be part of this because I know that you're going to be able to see what everybody else is seeing because you you don't want what everybody else wants. You want me to win. And I always tell people when you win, I win. That's the whole point of us having an agreement. When I represent you, nothing happens until, you know, you win. So yeah. I have to make sure that you win. If you can't, if, if, if I don't make sure that you win, I can't win. I think that's so valid too, in terms of culture today and in business today, it is about the role that leaders play. It's not about the leader. It's about actually supporting others and helping them become successful. And yes. I love that boomerang effect that you're talking about in artists and people that you've worked with that um, you're talking about how you build trust with people. And it is all about helping them understand that you believe in them and that you're supporting them. Yeah. You know, and the other and the flip side to that is at the end of the day, people really want to only want to work with people who they know who no one really, you know, every, every new face that you bring into a picture has a new agenda. Yeah. And not everybody might share your agenda. So once somebody understands that you share their agenda, they're always going to come back to you. Yeah. That's interesting. I think about that boomerang effect and then only working with people you know. How do you how do you introduce diverse thinking into the mix? If people are so used to, you know, working with very specific people, how do you encourage people to think about things differently or bring in other perspectives? By letting them fail. By not getting in the way. Let them fall, but just be there to help yeah. them get up. So I, love I will yeah, let them fall. I let people fall. I, I would tell them, this is what's going to happen if you sign this contract. You know, and when you sign this contract, you can't be angry at me because I told you what would happen. And I would tell, tell them, I said, you know, I, you know, if you want to fall, I'm going to let you fall, but I will be there. My job is to advise you and guide you. I am the captain of your ship. Yeah. It's not my ship. You know, so... If you want to take this route, I'm always going to tell you what's going to happen when you take that route. Once you decide to take that route, you know, that doesn't mean I'm going to leave. It just lets you know that you're going to fail. So now what I have to do, because you've taken that route and you've decided to say that I'm going to go fail, I have to have the plan B to get you back to where you were at. That's right. So I let them fail. I, that's, 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 that's how I... That's how I gain authority, trust, power, seniority, is by allowing people to fail. Yeah, I think it's, um, I, I know you and I have grown up in different industries. What I'm hearing you talk about is creating a learning culture around that individual, that it's okay to fail, because in doing so, you actually build grit, you learn something new, you know, that kind of thing. And so I, I, that's such awesome advice. But I'm, I'm going to flip it back on you, though. So think about in your success and as you've evolved, when were times that you failed that as a result rose above, right? How did you grow from it? I, what, what did I learn from failing? When yeah, I from failed? failing. Well, well, I learned like humility. Humility. Okay. I learned humility. I learned to treat everyone equally. 
I learned to never think that you're above and beyond anyone. Even if someone speaks slow, even if someone's Tourette's, even if someone yeah. stutters, you know, because sometimes when you have, you, you know, when you fail and you don't uh, accept humility, you'll fail again. You know, the same brick will hit you over and over again. It's like when you do, you know, you, you know, I do jujitsu and I would get caught in a specific arm bar. If I'm not, you know, showing any humility to a skill and slowing down and processing everything, he's just going to keep catching me in that arm bar. So I think humility helps me tremendously with that. When I fail, I gain humility. You know, I know that I am not the greatest, the best, no, a number one, you know, humility. So yeah, failure gives me humility. Okay. Yeah. I think failure gives humility. Both. I do gi and no gi, but I'm better with gi. Somebody just asked a question. Oh. About jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Gi or no gi. Oh, yeah, someone asked. When, yeah, if, if, yeah, yeah, <laughs> if, yeah, yeah. When, when I grab your gi, I can hold on to you. When um, you don't have a gi, it's harder for me to hold on to you because you have like a rash garden shorts. Wow. There was some like. That was Michael. Action. Michael. Yeah, yeah, yeah Michael. Michael had asked that. That's really awesome. So if I think about defining moments for, let's talk about the music culture for a minute, since you're such a veteran in music, think about what events happened, at least in your lifetime, your career, that really defined or changed music culture? The introduction, the first thing I can tell you was um, from CD to streaming. Okay. You know, I was a big advocate of streaming, you know, to think that somebody like me who uh, is in the music business would care about... Uh, ownership rights and I'm the first guy to break them. I don't believe that art should be owned. I believe art belongs to people. So uh, um, when, when streaming first came into play, I, the powers that be in the recording industry were middle-aged, Caucasian, Jewish okay. men who had made millions of dollars of doing it one way. They did not want to adopt. They did not want to change. So same as generational wealth when it comes to the racial divide, they lost a lot of money during that transition. And um, that was one of the that was one of the first things that 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 they missed the boat on in the beginning. Now they're catching up by actually okay. acquiring everyone's publishing. And uh, now, now, now you're going to take me someplace else. And the reason why they're applying, uh, 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 you know how you see Future selling his rights, um, Timberland is selling their rights. That's all for the metaverse. That's all for the future. So they're, so they're taking, they're buying all of these copyrights, not to actually uh, reutilize them and relicense them. They're going to reintroduce them in a whole new platform. And that platform is going to be the metaverse. Wow. But... A lot of people, you know, I just gave something away. A lot of people still haven't, a lot of people still don't understand that. But when you hear of all of these publishing companies and all of these third-party companies acquiring Little Wayne, Future, um, uh, Michael, I think Michael Jackson's about to, I think the, the administrators of Michael Jackson's estate are about to sell his copyrights for over a billion dollars. You know they're 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 about they're about to close on a deal for that. I would never ever give up my rights to be honest with you. But everybody lives in the now. You know, no one's thinking about the legacy part. Yes, you know? I was gonna say, what up with the legacy part when that happens? I don't what get it. You mean? know, it means that uh, their future generations go back to that generational wealth gap. You know. You're spending, you know, you're getting $100 million and you spend $100 million before you die. There's nothing left. And there's nothing, there's no, there's no ongoing revenue anymore after you've given up all those rights. And again, those, those, those rights are, not, are, are, are being prepared for a whole new uh, transition. And, and, that, and, that, and, that meta, and that's going to be the metaverse. That's insane. Can you, I know I've talked to so many different people about metaverse. What is your view of the metaverse? How would you define it? Because that's also a whole new culture that 
I think those who are advanced fully get, and I'm still a noob, still trying to understand. The metaverse is just transitioning whatever we do in real time to virtual, and the metaverse is, to me, is more of a utility-based product. It's, you know, um, it's okay. supposed to make... It's, 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 it's supposed to make whatever you do easier. So if you want to go to the movies, you don't necessarily need to get up. You could put on your headset. If you want to buy some sneakers, you don't necessarily have to get up anywhere. You can go to metaverse, walk around shop, or your AI can, you know, you, you know your uh, character can go out and do it for you. And that's pretty much all it is. It's just people, people being able to be whoever they want to be in an alternative world. You know, uh, uh, most of the nerds now are the kids who are all tatted up. Yeah. In the generation before, those same kids were considered tough. Right. But in this generation, they're nerds. It's an expression of who they it's are. Yes. Yeah, yeah I want to yes. jump into what you just said, though, about the metaverse, which is creating a space to allow people to be whoever they want to be in the yes. metaverse. But if I take that to like today and in today's society, it feels like that's the same thing IRL, right? In real life. How do you cultivate an environment where people can feel confident in exactly who they are, who they want to be? You know, so I see the parallels of metaverse and giving people the safe space to do that in real life. How do you do that? Well, everything goes back to perception, right? People want okay. to talk to people who they perceive to be in the know. People want to talk to people who they perceive to be successful. People want to talk to people want to hang out to people who they perceive to be cool. And many of us, because of technology, because of we lack social skills, and we can reintroduce ourselves now in a whole different light on a whole yeah. different platform with all of those publishing rights that have been taken from the artists in real time and transitioned into a digital world. I think that's fascinating. I, you know, you, you hit a nail on the head, at least for me around social skills. And again, bringing it back to, to be successful today. And it's a question that I think a lot of businesses are wrestling with is around how do they create environments, right? How do they create culture? And you and I have talked about this. Is it hybrid? Do they work fully remote? You know, do they go back to the office because that's what the CEO wants you to do? But I think at the end of the day, it's not about solving the problem of location. I think it's about solving the problem of relationships and how managers and employees relate to one another and mm -hmm. how they support each other. And I don't know what you, what you think about that, you know, when you think about, all right, what leaders are wrestling today in the work environment. Um, when you talk about social skills, how important is that today? Social skills, social skills are, are, are very important, but they're not as sharpened as they used to be because of what True. we're doing right now. Even on the video, um, people interact through text. And the text is left up to the interpretation or the emotional interpretation is left up, left up to the individual receiving it. Sometimes you'll have a whole conversation on text and you'd be like, darn it, I got to call them because they think I'm angry. Yeah. You should call them from the beginning, but because of technology, you know, technology is a blessing and a curse. Technology makes us lazy. And when we're lazy, we don't practice the most basic things that we're used to doing on a day-to-day -day basis, yeah. know, which is sharing a plate of food, which is meeting someone, which is hugging them, which is, you know, spending time with them. You know, people think, you know, on social media, look, you can DM somebody and go on a date. Right. You, know, you don't even need to meet them. They, you know, you DM, they check out your profile. Oh, they look cool. And you respond. You, you know, you open up the DM and you say, hi, how are you? And then you get to know each other texting. You don't even hear the person's voice. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you're tapping into, again, I, what I worry about from a cultural standpoint is technology does not replace the humanity of people. And then more no. specifically, 
you know, I, I will throw this out there because I brought it up as a new terminology, just something that is not really new, but I think it's nouveau or now it's it's relevant for today, which is the notion of emotional labor, right? So we're talking about relationships, but now if you think about emotional labor, actually, I don't know if he's on, he might be on this call. Um, a new friend that I made, his name is Rhett Kirby and he's starting a new company. And it's all around recognizing the overall wellness of workers and more specifically, not mental wellness, but emotional wellness. And I was reminded that there's a terminology called the emotional laborer. And that's all around um, people who are in a profession where part of doing their job is actually receiving and managing emotions you know, from others as part of their profession and how that might impact their ability to actually be 100% you know, effective today. And so, for example, you know, I can relate to restaurant workers because especially through COVID when they were in the front line working, and then now with the anxiety that people might have when they'll walk into um, a restaurant and ask for kind of a kind of service, the emotions that people have to deal with. And so, I don't know, I threw that terminology out at you earlier and think about, gosh, leaders now need to learn how to manage that, or not even manage it, acknowledge that that exists, you know? And that is a skill that is being, you know, we're, we're, we're actually in the, you know, that word has existed for a long period of time, but more than ever now, we need to know how to emotionally deal with, because, uh, because a lot of people do have a lot of emotional hangups and letdowns. And uh, because of COVID and because everyone is so separated and because everyone is uh, uh, working remotely, there's sort of like a disconnect, you know? So it's very hard. Yeah, there's, 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 there's a big, big disconnect. And remember how we said, uh, when you said, how do we determine if people go back to work before we came on? And I said, it all depends where yeah. the CEO lives. You know, if the CEO lives by the main office, everyone's going to be expected to work. He's not doing it for emotional purposes. He's doing it for fact because he's getting up and going to work and he wants to make sure everybody's at the office. If the CEO lives outside of the state of the headquarters, nine times out of 10, he doesn't care who whoever shows up to work at the office as long as they get their job done. And I think right now it's not about how the person is getting the job done, what problems are they going through while they're getting the job done. It's just get the job done. Yeah. You know, and think, that's the disconnect. Right. And so I think that's what we're talking about is how do you get reconnected and create a culture where that actually matters. And I think that's, that it's an, it's an interesting time today, you know, or this year, especially really people coming out of um, the pandemic and a lot of success. And now they're questioning success and creating rules without actually being connected to people. And so. Um, Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, no. I was just I saying. Was so how do you help leaders remember that? Going to be it. It's all up to the leader. It's all up. If the leader understands that and wants to learn, he brings in the right people to always uh, let him know that, you know, that's a VP over there, but that VP has two kids, might be going through a divorce, might be separated. You know, that's the senior vice president right there. He drives a Porsche, but you know, he has problems with his wife. Yeah. You know, he's, he's, he's suffering from an illness. That actually comes from that comes from the top down. It doesn't come from the bottom up. So the way the way we have to, the leaders have to address it themselves. And it just so happens that there are leaders today that are that I'm starting to work with that that are acknowledging that, but there's still a multitude of leaders that still are unaware of that. How would I do it? Well, the way we did it with TIA Cref, yeah, and I did a, I, I created an anonymous application where people were able to log in and put in their complaints anonymously. You know, they were able to say what they liked, what they didn't like, what they wanted to do, what they wanted to do. So that way they were, by being, by being autonomous, no one can point a finger to anyone. You know, it's taken into a pot and stirred and people review it. 
So that's what I did with TIA Craft. And I think another thing that I would practice is uh, synergy. A lot of companies now, there's no synergy. Like the head yeah. of marketing never meets the head of sales and the head of sales never meets operations. Everything is through an email. So, you know, I remember the record companies when I used to walk through record companies, I used to be like, Jesus Christ, I feel like I'm at Merrill Lynch. Everyone has their door closed and no one knows anybody. So I would purposely walk around and open everyone's door. And I would walk around and introduce people. I'd be like, this is your head of marketing. Did you know that? That's your, <laughs> that's, and he'd be like, I didn't even know, I was wondering who you were. So, you know, the way I did it when I was younger, when record companies were record companies and, you know, you walk through a floor as I would open all the doors and introduce everyone to everybody. But again, what you said and what you're asking for yeah. starts from the top down. It doesn't start from the bottom up. So the top, the, the leaders have to acknowledge that they have to keep that into perspective, the emotional well-being of everyone, because if you can make everyone happy, if you can keep everyone happy, you'll get the most out of them. And no one's going to be running out of the office at 5 p.m. They're not going to be rushing. Totally. Well, I think, too, when you talked about the platform that you created for anonymous feedback, where it was completely anonymous and giving people a voice and actually you're hearing them in terms of their experience. I think that is important. People want to be heard. They also want to be seen. I think you've did it. And they don't want to be judged, but they don't want to be judged. But they don't want to be judged, right. They want to be seen for who they are. Yes. Um, I, I love that other piece of advice that you just gave too, which is for you, you went through and like opened doors and made sure that people from other functions actually knew each other so that it wasn't that, oh, that's who you are, that they actually made that connection. You know, I think about, I, I told the story once early days, I used to work at this Fortune 25 company and I ended up in the headquarters at, um, in a training program and I was wandering around, I didn't know anybody. And I was walking around the building and I saw when doors were open to offices, I would walk into the office, this is how naive I was, and just say hello and introduce myself. And then my manager called me, you know, that day and he said, so I heard you met the president of the company. I'm like, I did? Yeah, you apparently rolled into his office and said hello. And so I think there's something about, um, and it, it, there was no judgment on me or no, or I wasn't judging people. I just really honestly wanted to know who people were and I was new and had to say hi to people, right? The same so thing I happened to me. I was, I, I was working at a big corp company in Miami and um, somebody had a golf bag and they were trying, and I was like, do you need help? And he looked at me, looked at me up and down. He was like, he's like, yeah, sure. And I grabbed the bag and we talked. He asked me who was my name. He was the president of the company and I didn't know. Oh my goodness. It, it was just, I was like, do you need, I was like, that looks kind of heavy. Do you need help? And he yeah. just looked at me up and down and he was like, uh, yeah. And I was like, I'll, I'll take it. He was older than me. I'll take it. And I carried the bag. And when I, I didn't even realize until we got to the parking facility and I realized like, he oh. must be important. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. and the next day, you know, I got, I got a phone call to come down and, I got an introduction. He was like, thank you for helping me. What department do you work in? Yes. Who are you and what department do you work in? And I told him, you know, I'm in the communications department and I just thought you needed help. I just feel like, I mean, we're kind of circling back to where we started when I hear your story about um, paying attention and helping people and being diligent. I mean, again, being observant and just meeting someone because you thought they needed help. And then you never know, I didn't even know who they were. No, I didn't know who they were. Amazing. I think that's now, amazing. Sometimes I've done it on purpose. Sometimes I've done it on purpose. Okay. You know, it goes back to, you know, people only, only, only want to work with people that they know, like Sylvia Rowan, my mentor. She's president of Motown now. I basically hung out everywhere she hung out. I, if she would go to the bar, I'd go to the bar and order a drink. And I would say hi, and I'd walk away and leave it at that. And I told myself that one day when I meet her, she's going to say, don't I know you? And I know that would basically uh, uh, 
open the door. It would ease her. Yeah. An icebreaker. That's such a great tidbit. Um, oh, I've got Yesenia who is on here and I want to recognize her question. EQ versus AQ versus IQ thoughts. So there's emotional intelligence versus just smarts, but then the AQ. Emotional intelligence will get you everything that you desire. Intelligence will get you exactly what you deserve. IQ is just IQ. It's a number. I love it. That's such great advice. And I know we're coming in a quarter after the hour. And I want to have one more um, fun question for you, which yes. is these days, what are you wearing? Like, what's your favorite thing to wear? What are you wearing now? And then also, what are you listening to? Uh, my favorite thing to wear, I love Alexander McQueen. I love uh, um, uh, I love uh, Alexander McQueen. Yeah, that, he's 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 my guy now. I love Ferragamo. Um, what am I wearing today? I'm wearing a painter shirt that has paint on purpose, and um, I'm wearing an AP encased Casio. I got an AP watch and I put a Casio in it. Nice. So yeah, and I'm wearing a white gold bracelet um, and a little diamond tennis necklace. And I've got on, uh, yeah, uh, Alexander McQueen jeans, some leather wow. jeans. Yeah, I, I feel you on the Alexander McQueen. Like, I always just to love throwing on a scarf as a belt for me, mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. any one of his scarves, just because it just brings a little edge to some other stuff that I'm wearing. I love that. And Michael wants to know what about the Marge Margeas? Are you wearing those? Oh, the Margellas, yeah, I've got, <laughs> yeah, those, those, yeah. I've got about seven pairs of Margellas. I can't, I just love, uh, I love anything that looks worn and old. I don't like, I'm not really into things that look brand new, you know, and I'm not into the designer head to toe thing. You know, somebody said adaptive intelligence. Yeah, that's what AQ is. Yes, 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 yeah. Well, I'm always going to go with the EQ, emotional intelligence. Yeah. Outweighs all of them. Because emotional intelligence means that you're smart, but you're also, like I said, emotionally connected to people. You feel what they feel. You you feel their needs. You feel their wants. You're going to get whatever you, you whatever, whatever your heart desires. Yeah, I, um, I'm with you on that. I mean, I think it's a good way to not only end with fashion, I think what I love about you talking about you wear anything that is feels worn or looks worn and not brand new and not designer head to toe. I mean, that's not even really fashion when people do that. But I think it is showing your expression when you do that. You know, and when I hear you talk about it's got to look worn, not like brand new, that that makes you more relatable when you talk about that kind of fashion. Yes. And then, um, yeah, 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 Louis. You know, you know, when you're Louis from 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 head to toe and you're walking through the airport, everybody's just looking at you like, who is that? Who does he think he is? But when you you know just got on Louis uh satchel and you just got ripped jeans and uh you know, I can say something to him. I can, you know, I can yeah, yeah, you are, you're more approachable. That's right. I like to be approachable, I, you know. Yeah, I'm a giver. You know, and I, I wanted to remember I said there's givers, takers, and matchmakers. And matchmakers. Most, who do you think are the most successful people? Givers, takers, or matchmakers? Oh my gosh, I feel like I've had this conversation with other people. I think the most successful people are matchmakers. No, they're givers. They're givers with a limiter. You give until the point where they have to earn. If you can master that, you will be the most successful person in the room. The takers usually get shunned and get put out. And the matchmakers, they just get commissions. But the givers who operate with a, uh, you know, a governor, they give until the point where they say, okay, I've given enough, now it's time for you to give me. Or I've given enough where now you need to be on your own. Those are the people that win. So the givers with a governor are the people to me that usually win. And I'm a giver with a governor. 
So I will give, give, and give, and it, and I'll be like, okay, now that I've given you, it's time for you to give back. So yeah, I'm not I a taker, and I'm not a maker. I'm just a giver with the limit. Yeah, I love that caveat of having that governance around giving. And I think it's a great way to kind of wrap up our conversation around culture. And if I take nothing else away, although I've taken a lot away, it is about this humanity of giving, right? And how um, connecting with people and feeling and emotion is really important um, for others. And so I want to thank you so much for joining my culture cast, Roger. And thank I you so I much. We are super I excited. I boring. I hope I, you know, I hope I sounded smart. You, know? you are so smart and amazing. You know, and um, I, I'm just, I'm just a regular guy. If you really, I'm, I, I think I'm so regular. It's crazy. Yeah, I think you're also very humble, and that's why we love you. Right on, Roger. Thank you, everyone, for joining. We're going to end the broadcast. We'll see you next time. And actually, please join us if you're around on Friday night. My next guest is actually going to be broadcasting from Thailand. Um, it'll be 6 p.m. Pacific time with Dina Kaplan on creating a culture of well-being and meditation. So for now, we'll say goodbye to Roger and to all of you. And we'll see you next time. Thank you time. so much, everyone. Bye, everyone. Thank you,